0: brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. This is our first podcast episode in the month of December, so we are officially entered into the time of Advent, and that's actually what we're going to focus on today. Advent is something that either you grew up experiencing in Church, or you think it's like a, you know, a calendar that you put up that has chocolates or ornaments. Or My wife and I, by the way, uh, every year we have two Advent calendars. And we're not putting any up this year because my oldest daughter's in college now, my youngest daughter's a freshman in high school, and it's like, it's petered out. The whole Advent calendar thing is petered out. It's kind of a sad, sad thing for me. So we had these elaborate Advent calendars, that uh, ha- one of them has little boxes that you hang on, on the wall on this Advent calendar, and each box has some something inside of it, and some of it's, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, kind of exotic candy, and some of it's... Um, little ornaments they can put on their little trees and other stuff. And it was always a lot of fun. And the other advent calendar was one that it was, it laid flat and it was an entire little uh, kind of Christmas scene village. And each thing in the village, every building and every tree, you could open up.
1: And oh, was... I remember we had one of those too. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of it, it would be the full nativity scene.
0: Yeah. This wasn't a nativity scene though. It was like a village. It was like a Christmas village. We had one like a Victorian village.
1: The nativity scene and the last day was the baby Jesus. Yeah. Was there.
0: And this is our I mean, this is maybe our most common kind of connection to what Advent is, because we grew up with these calendars and they were a lot of fun. And the fun of it was that there was a mystery behind it, but it actually had absolutely nothing to do with Advent (laughs) for the most part. So it's kind of funny how it's like a lot of things that start out in the Church and then get kind of thrown over the wall into secular culture, and they become something entirely different. And so we felt like, Becky and I felt like it it was a good time to just focus on, well, what is Advent anyway? And what is it that we're being invited into by Jesus during this month of December, which is a crazy kind of frenzy of activity and additional responsibilities and additional parties and celebrations and family connection. So and and it's for a lot of those reasons, I've always kind of had a love-hate relationship with Advent, because in the Church, we talk about Advent as sort of preparing the way for Jesus, you know, and that Jesus is coming, and what are we doing to prepare ourselves? And I'm always like, I'm not preparing myself for Jesus, he's already here. It sounds weird to every year act as though he's not here yet. <laughs> and it, it seems like a weird, weird way the Church has translated what Advent is. So, so that's part of what my discomfort is with Advent. And then the other part is just hearing so many imperatives to slow down and remember the reason for the season and all this stuff. It's basically a kind of a mild form of shaming every year, and everybody feels guilty about it, and none of this has the effect of what we hope it would in the season of Advent, it's all a little off kilter so the true point of advent really is to help us to remember to focus on the heart of jesus that's I, the simplicity of it
1: i never really went to a liturgical church growing up so i i never went to a church that celebrated like a traditional advent and i had actually never even heard that word until i started working for a christian publisher <laughs> and <laughs> just grasped this i went to the bible institute of los angeles and I have a minor in Biola. Biola. If you always
0: wondered what Biola meant, Becky has just explained it for Institute
1: you. Institute of Los Angeles, and I have a minor in Bible. So I can go ahead and tell you this, because I have personally read the full Bible multiple times, um, that Advent isn't actually in the Bible.
0: It, the, word, a, the word, the Advent. word Advent. The word Advent is
1: not in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Some people might be shocked by that. So I, I actually didn't really know what advent was i i didn't really we did i mean definitely i heard you know jesus is the reason for the season and you know there was definitely some emphasis on the telling of the story of jesus's birth during you know the holiday season but i wasn't part of a church that did the the, the traditional t- yeah. traditional advent which we're going to talk about what that is yeah, in we, this episode the
0: more sort of liturgical your church is the more likely you were to observe advent and so the the less liturgical, the more sort of non denominational evangelical you were. You may or may not observe Advent, and 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 then your whole experience of what Advent is is really tied to a calendar. So yeah, we want to explore the, the kind of the underpinnings of what Advent actually is, and also recognize that it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a charged issue in some ways for people. There's been some stuff in the news that I just heard in the last week that was that just reminded me again that you don't mess around with advent in a big way. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things both of these things happened over in the UK that I that I heard about one was that there was a a bakery chain in the UK that created an advertisement to advertise one of their sausage rolls and they used a nativity scene and put the sausage roll in the manger. <laughs> You and can't it's, do that. It's funny. It's not cool. It's funny, but it's like one of those things that, is it okay to laugh at that or not? And apparently for a lot of people around the world in not. the UK, it was not okay to laugh at that. Not so. a
1: laughing matter. You do not replace the baby Jesus with, <laughs> with a the sausage, sausage roll. <laughs> yeah,
0: you don't do that. And the other thing that happened in the UK is, uh, I guess there's a YouTube beauty consultant named Zoella. I've never watched her. Have you ever watched Zoella, no, Becky? No, I can't
1: wait to hear this story because yeah. you didn't tell me about this prior to Oh, I, I
0: sent you the link, but maybe you didn't, I didn't read I this. I guess uh, I missed it. Yeah, well, Zoella is a YouTube beauty expert, which okay. is a new category of yeah. job in the last 10 years. And uh, so she puts her name on a bunch of different things that, like in typical YouTube fashion, if she uses it in her video, then she's also selling it. And now she's selling it with her name on it. So she released an advent calendar, for this season, but it only has 12 kind of compartments, and the compartments um, behind them, she's put in stuff like um, a, a little ornament, a little packet of Make-A-Wish confetti, a cookie cutter, some stickers, a pencil case, makeup bag, a candle, a mini bottle of room spray, things like that, and they're all supposed to be like, you know, the th- kinds of things that she really loves. Um but there's only 12 of these things, and it costs 50 pounds, which is like $65. So people are up in arms of like, oh my gosh, you want me to buy a $65 advent calendar for, for my kids? So the, the uproar is about how expensive it is and how kind of cheap the actual things that she's giving you are, and it's
1: not a full Advent calendar. It's only
0: twelve days. <laughs>
1: so she's sort of stealing Advent for her own personal.
0: Exactly. Well, that's what people were upset about. Is like you're giving us this cheap stuff and charging us sixty five dollars. You're making money on Advent. Well, a lot well, of people do. It's kind of what we do in the world, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, so the point is though that if you mess around with this stuff with the rich, like the the traditional or honored meeting of Advent, you can get into trouble pretty pretty quickly. And all of this is simply a distraction away from what this season is actually about. It's like we've wandered into the wilderness with this. So why don't you uh, dive into this a little bit, Becky, and, and give us kind of the lowdown of what Advent really is.
1: Well, so I didn't grow up in a liturgical church, so I didn't really know about like the, the church celebration of Advent. So actually, that will be interesting to kind of share with you if, if you don't know that either but like most of you we did have advent calendars i just didn't really know that that's what they were called they were just more like countdown calendars to christmas that started at a certain point in time so, so that's an interesting like
0: yeah like that's, that's, an that's interesting what we, that's an interesting translation of advent a countdown calendar it was to a christmas. countdown
1: to christmas okay <laughs> so it had chocolates or ornaments and like like i said i do remember we had one that you opened up each little thing and it, it revealed the whole nativity scene and we had the, we we did that every year so advent calendars are a huge deal. And and a lot of parents or people, they plan ahead, like what advent calendars they're going to get for their kids and apparently this year the top selling advent calendar was the Star Wars sock calendar. Wait, wait,
0: wait a minute. You mean like socks with that are Star For Wars your feet. themed?
1: Yep, every day you get a new pair of 30, Star Wars socks.
0: 30 pairs of Star Wars socks? I think socks? it's
1: actually 21 days technically. Oh, that's true. And so yes, my sister um, had to go to four different targets to get a Star Wars sock calendar advent calendar for all three of her what boys. A, what a
0: laundry nightmare.
1: Because they were <laughs> they were sold out. It's the best-selling advent calendar of 2017. Wow. I also found that and that you can get a Manny Petty calendar so every day it has like a different nail polish or a different Oh, things. I thought maybe Foot a, I thought maybe
0: a hand came out of the calendar to to massage your toes. That,
1: I don't think that Nope, <laughs> <laughs> no. Also, we're in Colorado, folks, so there's a high holidays calendar so you can use your imagination or google what that means there was also a spirit filled calendar that was full of different spirits that you could ingest every day so to speak so i'm
0: surprised that one both of those last two haven't caused an uproar here in america maybe we're a little little less uh, tight-lipped as the people in uk are but wow The point
1: is, (laughs) you can find an Advent calendar for just about anything, and they're kind of a big deal. And many people, I don't think that they know that they're celebrating Advent. I think it's just really, it's about a tradition of counting down to Christmas, of getting excited about having some anticipation for the holiday season and family being together and presents and all of that. And I'm, I'm sure kids like it the most.
0: And doesn't some of that kind of get to kind of the core issue here about like, well what is this season really all about? Because what you hear that it's all about is kind of like the magic of Christmas and the focus on family at Christmas and it's kind of a time to sort of celebrate kind of an amorphous goodness in the world yeah. and your family relationships. So that that's pretty much not at all what it is.
1: <laughs> well, I I will I'm gonna just have a little confession here. I do really, really love this time of year. Partic- Me too. Particularly because I love to watch Christmas Hallmark movies.
0: <laughs> oh, there's a very specific <laughs> sub niche of Christmas movies.
1: It's Christmas like the, Hallmark.
0: You mean the ones that are like over the top, over emotional, over
1: the top, always have a happy ending. There's like, is this like a, like
0: like like a Christmas shoes kind of like well, a
1: big city person that got stuck in a small town for the holidays and, and it fell snows in love with a small town girl. Fell in yeah. Love yeah, with yeah. The, yeah. Those are the movies that I love to watch. So, I, I mean, I can understand why people kind of have like some nostalgia around counting down. But I did do some research on what actually the the church liturgical Advent season is all about. And this, if you go to a Catholic church, in fact, one of our coworkers, she is Catholic. And so I talked to her a little bit about her experience. And she feels very, she has a lot of fond feelings. Feelings about going to church on Sunday and the traditions that are celebrated there with her family. So I thought I would just kind of give you a little bit of an overview. It's a lot more complicated than this, but basically every Sunday, there's a practice of remembering by lighting candles on a wreath. The bows of the wreath represent darkness and the candles represent Jesus, the light of the world. I thought that was a nice kind of like, okay, I was wondering what the wreaths were all about. So it's about the contrast of darkness and light.
0: There's a lot of like intense symbolism around mm-hmm. Advent stuff. Uh, all Every single thing Everything. up there has a meaning. Yeah. All
1: the colors. So the first week is hope. And during the week of hope, you light the prophet's candle to remind us that Jesus is coming. I should say that in addition to this, most of the churches have liturgical readings that you do as a group that go along with each of these weeks, but I didn't include that here. But you could go online and find those readings, and they're very, actually very good. Then week two is faith. So during the week of faith, you light the Bethlehem candle, um, and that reminds us of Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem and what that must have been like for them. Then week three is joy, um, and that's the lighting of the shepherd's candle to remind us the joy the world experienced at the coming of the birth of Jesus. And I also would like to say on week three, this is interesting, if you're Catholic, on week three, the, um, the priest, he dresses in all pink that night because the representative color of joy is pink. And so on that night, they have a pink candle that is lit Um, And then week four is peace, um, and the lighting of the angels' candle that reminds us the message of the angels: peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Yeah. And then
0: there's there's one last candle, the big white one in the middle, which is the Christ candle. It symbolizes Jesus.
1: Which actually, not all churches do that. Most uh, traditional Advent is just four candles, but many churches do include a fifth white candle. Um, in the middle of it, but that's not in all.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking about, as you went through this, I mentioned to, to Becky the other day that um, last year at this time, I was in midstream writing spiritual grit, and every time I write a book, I spend a, I take a portion of that writing time, and I always go to this Trappist monastery that's in the mountains of Colorado, and I, I happened to be there at this time last year, right during uh, during Advent. And this place is just very—it's a silent valley. Trappist monks uh, do what they call keep the silence, so they don't talk during the day, and they rarely talk to outsiders. But you can participate in the things that they're doing. And I live in a little stone hermitage at this monastery, and I usually write for three days when I go there. And it's the perfect place to write, because there's absolutely no distractions, no Wi-Fi, no nothing. But I do participate in some of the things they do, and one of the things I love to go to is they have at 4.30 in the morning, They I can't remember what the name of this is, but it's their first gathering of the day, and they meet in their stone chapel, which has these vaulted ceilings, and it's lit by two candles in this vast room. And the monks come in, and they, they sit in kind of a U-shape In the middle of the thing, and then the rest of us sit along the sides, and they do a very simple kind of liturgy. Well, I was there during Advent last year, and there's something about the message of Advent, the lighting of these candles, the remembering of the story, again, that kind of goes deep in our rhythms. We are people that basically are notorious forgetters. We forget the most important things in life all the time. It doesn't take that much time for us to forget either. There, you can you'll know this by the last time you were in trouble with your spouse, and you said, "I'll never do that again," and how soon you end up doing that again, whatever that is. We're notorious forgetters. We're in the moment very earnest, but we forget big things, important things, and it's true that we forget the basic, the basic gospel story. What 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 is good news about it? And in a place like this monastery, where everything is silent and austere and simple it 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 kind of has the effect of slowing you down to remember oh yeah this is this is the greatest story ever this is the story that changed my life
1: well i will say that i did interview a few people who have gone through a, a traditional ad- Advent services and they they both said if you are gonna go to a church that celebrates Advent traditionally this is this is the time of year to go to a liturgical church because it's such an amazing experience so you if, if you're listening to this on Tuesday you've already missed the first Sunday but you can still experience the next three Sundays of Advent um, so you can find a church usually is it the Lutheran churches usually that
0: it's really I, I went to a uh... For a long We're season Catholic. of time, I was in a, a evangelical Presbyterian church, mm. and and they celebrated Advent. Um, the the more liturgical you are, Lutheran, Catholic, uh, Anglican, yeah. the more likely you are to to see a more Advent, traditional uh, Advent. Traditional Advent yeah. Yeah. But there are also in the in the sort of the mainline denominations. Uh, Methodist, evangelical denominations like Presbyterians, they often do Advent as well. It might be a little bit contemporized in those churches, okay. but, but the, the idea behind Advent in these successive weeks is, is really is, is really to prod us to remember the great story, and, and it's designed to get us thinking about the sacrifice that Jesus made when he came to the world in the first place. It's really, at its heart, it's a celebration of the Incarnation. It's not a celebration of Jesus finally coming. No, we know he's here already. It's a way to remember what the Incarnation was all about. And the other night at our small group, we were in the midst of a pursuit where we were paying close attention to the interactions Jesus had with people and what he really liked about the people he interacted with. The whole focus of our pursuit that night was to understand that it's not in Jesus' job description to love us, it's not like his work to love us, like oh, we, we often think, oh, God is supposed to love us because he's God, but the actual example of Jesus is that he loves us particularly when he talks about, uh, I've numbered the hairs on your head, or he tells the parable of the one sheep in the 99, or the, the lost coin or the lost son, he's trying to say, I'm paying attention to you. To your individuality, and I'm cherishing your nuances." So that was our pursuit that night, and the way we got at this is we were w- uh, trying to observe, what nuances did He Jesus notice about the people that he encountered that he really loved? And it was a fascinating, To we had like a dozen different encounters, and I broke them into these trios where they could choose any stories they wanted to, and try to pay attention, what was it that Jesus saw in that person that he really appreciated? And one of those groups said, I thought it was so so good, one of the groups said, Jesus appreciates crazy acts of faith and trust in him. I mean, when somebody goes absolutely crazy all in, he he's beside himself with excitement. I mean, when somebody does this, you often see in Scripture, Jesus was astonished by, Jesus was alar- uh, not alarmed by, but excited by, or he responded with... Uh, uh, so much animation when somebody did something crazy trustful of him. And then uh, I said, well, why do you think he likes that? Uh, that? That's the question we always ask in the group, not just what he did, but why did he do it? That's the key to everything. And by the way, that why process that I'm talking about right now is a significant part of chapter one in my book Spiritual Grit that'll come out in April. I kind of walk through how, how to live a life where you're always asking why about the heart of Jesus. So we asked why, and one person in that trio said something fascinating. They said, I think he loves people who go all in, or are crazy all in, because he is. He is himself, and, and when people do that, he sees something that he delights in, in himself, in us. And and I thought, that is fascinating. And then I said, what's an example of that? And they said, well, the cross, look how crazy trustful that was. What a crazy act of all-in the cross was. And I, I kind of wrote it up on our whiteboard, and I said, you know, that's really true. But if you think about the Incarnation, it's an even crazier act of trust. We, we think about the cross in terms of the sacrifice Jesus made and the pain that he went through, and the separation from his Father on the cross, and that he knows this is coming and he chooses to have it happen. He wasn't murdered, he chose his way into death, and all that goes into this, and tremendous sacrifice that won us our freedom and won us back relationship with him. But we don't think in these kind of epic, apocalyptic kinds of terms necessarily with the Incarnation. It's more like a kid's story, a cute little baby with cute little farm animals around it. We don't see it in this kind of same apocalyptic way Mm -hmm. that we see the cross, but the incarnation, if you think about what Jesus gave up that we can't even conceive. So he, he enjoyed life with the Trinity, the same Trinity that created millions of galaxies that we haven't even yet explored yet full of stars we don't even know the names for yet. He's so beyond our experience of life, and he, he gives that up to become a human being, and to be boundaried by flesh and blood and the emotions that we experience, the, the down and dirty brokenness we have in our relationships, and the, the thick-headed ways we behave as people. He gives all that up to become the translator for us between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world that we're used to. It's an extraordinary act of humility and passion, and he not only comes to the world in the in the form of a human being, he comes as a helpless human being, a baby who is dependent on his mother to live. Imagine that, a God who humbles himself so much that he becomes A person who is dependent on these broken people to nurture his humanness. It's extraordinary. You know, babies in the ancient world often died. Mm -hmm. It's no guarantee that you're gonna make it past birth, and Jesus becomes a little baby that has to be taken care of and protected from disease and all of this stuff. So he's fully man and fully God, and sometimes we forget the fully man part of that is a way ex- extraordinary act of humility for him to to come in this way.
1: Well, advent is such a beautiful season and it is um I you know it, it is all designed to help us to remember the incarnation. But the one thing that Rick and I were talking about was that it's designed to help us anticipate somebody who's already here. And so we wanted to actually um, we wanted to turn Advent just a little slightly to pay to do what we do here, which is we pay ridiculous attention to Jesus because he's already here. We don't have to anticipate him. We just have to experience him. And one of the things that we are doing is if you are on Instagram and you want to start following us, um, we started on December 1st so you know we're a few days into this but we have an Instagram. Advent challenge, and every day the challenge is we're posting a photo um, that goes along with a theme and a verse, and the challenge is actually to pay ridiculous attention to Jesus in different ways all the way up to the holiday season so that we would anticipate the, the Jesus that's already here, who's already present, and who's already a part of our Christmas every year. Um, so we're going to kind of go through a few ways that you can do that here, so why don't you help us? Yeah, this
0: this will be a little kind of on-ramp into this. I think what Becky just said is so important to get away from the the thing that we talked about at the start, the sort of mildly shaming the reason for the season, are, are you remembering Jesus? We don't need more reminders like that. We already know. But this path that you're talking about, this daily path, is so simple, it's, it's related to taking pictures of something and then a little a little bit of a thought. Yeah,
1: we call it a challenge, but it seems too hard to call it that. It's really not. It's it's something that you should already be into like experience experiencing in your daily holiday, you know, journey to December 25th anyways. It's right. something that's already going to be happening. So you don't have to go do something or buy something or anything like that.
0: These are just little nudges because we need nudges to remember things. It's like if your spouse nudges you to remember to go pick up the milk. These are nudges to remember the heart of Jesus, and they're just little nudges along the way. And we thought what we do is not just talk about all this, but actually, as you're listening, we're going to take you into four, four things right now that are tied to the four weeks of Advent. These are not part of the journey that Becky just talked about. We'll put a link to that on this podcast page, and you can go enjoy that. These are not part of that, these are just sort of an on-ramp into that, that kind of mindset. So we're going to take something from each week, and we're going to, uh, right here in the podcast, lead you into something that will help you to slow down and pay attention to Jesus um, as you're listening today. So, um, so we're not asking you to go do something after the podcast, we're going to do it right now. So week one of, of Advent is the candle that we light for, uh, it's called the prophet's candle, it's to remind us that Jesus is coming. And it just reminded me that with our Jesus-centered Bible, and if you don't have one, we'll put again a link to that, obviously, on this podcast, but I'd encourage you, if you don't have one, please take the risk and get this, get this Bible, because it was designed very particularly to Help you, as you read, to orbit around the heart of Jesus. And we have heard, I mean, it, it is the number one selling study Bible in the world. And I, it's astonishing to us that that's, that, that that's so because we're not a Bible publisher. but I believe the reason why is people have encountered Jesus, the heart of Jesus by reading this Bible. And one of the, one of the things that is a big feature in this Bible is the blue letters in the Old Testament you i'm sure heard us if you're a long-time listener you've heard us talk about this before that uh, myself and Ken Caster my partner in this particular feature we spent many many weeks together finding all of the places in the old testament that point to Jesus either they're prophetic pointing to him or they're foreshadowing him or something important that happened in the life of Jesus happened here in the old testament in this place so we picked out these places and and made them colored in blue type and then we wrote a little blue box next to each one that explains the connection. And uh, we kind of had to limit ourselves. We realized there's so many of these, we better put a limit on it. So there's about 700 of them in the Old Testament. It's almost that you can't open a page in the Old Testament and not see one of these places. So I just kind of flipped open to one of the prophetic books, since this first week is about lighting the prophet's candle and we're looking forward to the the coming of Jesus. So I just opened, I, I literally randomly flipped open to Isaiah 40 and um, there are actually on this spread of two pages, there's four blue blue letter boxes on here. I want to read the one that's from Isaiah 40 verses 10 through 11. Here's how it goes. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. It's really saying he himself is the reward. He's not bringing something in his hand, he he himself is the reward. Did it make you think of anybody? (laughs) Uh, Verse 11 says, "'He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young.'" What an image! So this is a prophetic vision Of what the Messiah will be like, and describing an aspect of his tone and countenance and his purpose in our life. And the way it's described is, we are like the flock of this Good Shepherd, and the Shepherd's desire is to carry us in his arms and hold them close to his heart. If you can get a picture of that, that instead of the finger-wagging Jesus, it's the Jesus who wants to hold us close to his heart. So here's what I thought we could do, just for a moment, as a acknowledgement of what the prophet said that Jesus would come doing, which is coming as a shepherd to embrace his flock. Unless you're driving right now, <laughs> listening to this, I'd like it if you could just simply pause for a second and just cross your arms across yourself so you're kind of hugging yourself and and squeeze as you do that. So I'll just give you a moment. I'm serious. Actually, stop and do this right now. Just cross your arms and embrace yourself and squeeze, and then close your eyes just for a second. Imagine, just f- feel what it feels like to be held. I know, I know you're you're holding yourself right now, but feel what it feels like to have hands embracing you. And uh, I just want you to imagine now that that your arms are the arms of Jesus that he's the one holding you close to his heart right now. So as you continue to just hold yourself in this way, just, just breathe a little silent prayer to him, thanking him for holding you in whatever way you need to be held right now. I'm just going to pause for a minute while you do that. All right. You can unclench yourself now. <laughs> that, uh, one of the things that would be uh, interesting to do during this Advent time is, every now and then, especially if you have a Jesus-centered Bible, flip open to the Old Testament, uh, stop wherever you find a blue box, because these are places in the Old Testament that are looking forward to Jesus, and it's a way to remember that he was long anticipated by the people of God, so just flip, flip open your Bible to the Old Testament every now and then and read a blue box, read some blue letters. So week two, as the reality of Jesus born in Bethlehem, in a Bethlehem barn, after just imagine the journey that they had, she's nine months pregnant, there's already anxiety in their relationship because of how this whole thing went down. Now oh, she's pregnant, but she's, we've, never, we've never had intercourse. Uh, so the, the anxiety in their relationship, the physical discomfort, it's a noisy, dirty, anxious journey because there's so many people returning to their hometown to be counted for the census, so it's just a mass uh, mass movement along the, along the dusty roads of the ancient world. Um, and imagine the symbolism of this. All of this is happening not at all as you would expect if a, if a human being wrote this story. Now, how would God become human? How would we frame that story? We would not write it this way, where he comes in a dirty, dusty, noisy, chaotic time, and then when they finally get to their destination, there is no place to stay. What? There's no place to stay for them to even have the, the, the basics of comfort when she's giving birth, There's no place for them to do that, so they end up, uh, Mary ends up giving birth in a dirty stable and putting Jesus in a manger where animals eat their food from. So this was all chosen. All of this was chosen by God in a powerful act of humble symbolism. He's trying to make a point about what real authority is, and the trappings of power, and the trappings even of beauty that none of that really matters.
1: This this makes me think of my sister who just had her third baby and the difference between what Corin the third one is being born into versus what Declan the first one was being born into. Hmm. Corin since he's been in her womb has listened to two other little boys in total chaos. And, you know, he's not given full 100% attention. Mom has to stop sword fighting and jumping off couches and yelling and screaming and make dinners. And, you know, just to watch that the difference between this peaceful, you know, Declan had all the attention and it was quiet and peaceful and not chaotic. And then Corin's just born into utter chaos. And that might be your life. That might be your real life. Um, you may live in a manger scene that's just as chaotic as this. And it, so it's it's very much like the way a lot of people's lives are.
0: Yeah, it's good, and, and it makes you think about the, the, that beloved hymn at Christmas time, Silent Night. I mean, if you actually if you think about the lyrics, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Actually, no, no, it wasn't. Not everything was calm, and it certainly wasn't silent. Not in Bethlehem, it was noisy. It was overflowing with people, more people than normally were there by far. It was a noisy, chaotic, distracting environment. It was anything but silent and calm. And that, as Becky just said, that that really maps to our own life. So what I'd like you to do now, again, unless you're driving, just close your eyes for a moment, and I want you to just think about what is noisy, chaotic, dirty, and anxious— in your life right now? What, what pops into your head? What, what's something that feels noisy, dirty, chaotic, distracting, and anxiety-producing in your life right now? What is that thing? So if you have that now, I just want you to do a, a simple thing. With your, again, if you're not driving and your eyes are still closed, now that you have in your mind what that thing is, just just stretch your hand out as if you were calling a friend to come across the street, and just call in, call invite Jesus into that whatever it is you just thought about. Just physically use your hand and and call him call him across the street to you, invite him into that chaos. With the idea here that. Jesus is well used to chaos and dirtiness and messiness and anxiety and noise and chaos. This is not foreign to him at all. He does not require silence to, to be involved in your life. And that's a good thing, because these words describe our everyday life. So just invite him in now. Let it be okay that he's present in the midst of your chaos, and let him bring his presence— his tender, sheep-embracing presence into your chaos. Let him in today in the midst of all that. Okay, week three. The week three is the witness of the shepherd, and one of the things that strikes me about the witness of the shepherd over the birth is how childlike they were. I live in a very emotional family. I have a wife and two daughters, and there's a lot of drama going on all the time. It's a very emotional environment. It has been for a long time, and I have acclimated to that. I actually like it. I like the way women and, let's say, teenage girls are out there with their emotions. I know a lot of people are turned off by that, but I like that there's there's a reaction on the Richter scale to things happening, that there's an emotional reaction. I, far from kind of tamping down those emotions, I enjoy the, the emotional response. Maybe part of that is I grew up in a home that kind of tamped down emotions all the time, the, the the goal of my family growing up was to kind of a flat emotional environment felt uh, i think in my family felt like the the norm they were always trying to get to so when i married an irish italian wife i think i was hungering and thirsting for someone who had a, an emotional capability of reacting and responding to real things in life and and these shepherds responded emotionally they they celebrated they worshiped they were in awe they they had to hurry to where the the star was hanging over the manger they were all in emotionally and in kind of a childlike way they weren't trying to think it through they were just responding with the simple emotion of children so here's an idea for you with you and your family to this is going to sound a little crazy but um i i love the the core of this idea so to sort of put yourself back in the place of a child again, how about watching a Charlie Brown Christmas with your whole family? The Charlie Brown Christmas, in addition to having some of the greatest jazz music ever performed at it, the Vince Guaraldi trio, the jazz music for the Charlie Brown Christmas is extraordinary music. It just transports you into winter, into Christmas, but it also has a pretty powerful but simple and childlike focus on the meaning of Christmas, the meaning of Advent, and buried in it. And not just in the, the play that's within the story of A Charlie Brown Christmas, where they're reenacting the Christmas story, and Linus steps out onto the stage in the spotlight and explains exactly what Christmas is all about, but the rest of the story is about broken things that are cherished, and outsiders who are now insiders, and weak things that are made strong again. There's a childlike, embedded truth in every aspect of a Charlie Brown Christmas. It, it mirrors um, the kingdom of God in it. So what I'd encourage you to do is, is watch a Charlie Brown Christmas with your whole family, and at the end, the entire Peanuts gang sings Hark the Herald Angels Sing at the very end of it. Sing it with them as a family. Be a child again, and just sing it with them doing this, I think, will transport you back to a childlike place yourself. And a childlike place is the best place to remember the power of what Jesus has done. And you put yourself even in the shoes of the shepherds when when you become a child again. So there's a suggestion for week three. And then week four is is one of the, I think, uh, an interesting, misunderstood thing in the whole story of Christmas. Week four is, is the lighting of the angel's candle, when the angel's Uh, cry out, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I think my entire life, listening to the words peace on earth, it always conjures up images of no violence and no war and no chaos, and everybody gets along. It's really the image that John Lennon paints in his song Imagine. Imagine all the people basically getting along with each other, and that there's no religions and there's no divisions and there's no races. And I've always thought that's one of the silliest songs I've ever heard because it presupposes that we can just decide to be good people and we can decide to to not uh, live out the brokenness of our sin with each other. We can just decide it. and and I think I think it's immature because uh, an immature person sort of optimistically believes this can happen. But a mature person recognizes this is broken beyond repair, we need somebody to rescue us. And so what's the real meaning behind peace? I don't think it has anything to do with what John Lennon painted in Imagine. I think this peace, the peace that Jesus is talking about, is something deeper than that, because of course Jesus is here with us, and we still have wars and conflicts and everything else, um, what, you know, Becky, we were talking about this at, at, before we started recording today, when you think about this, peace on earth, goodwill to men, men, what does that mean to you, if you kind of drill down into it? What do you think that means?
1: Well, I think we definitely, when we hear it, we think we just need to stop fighting. We just need <laughs> to have total, you know, world peace, and that feels like a should, um, it feels like a giant should. It feels like something An impossible. That's really should. <laughs> impossible, that, and it that it's our responsibility and that, you know, we probably when we sing it at church on Christmas Eve are thinking about the relative that we just got in a fight with or that we're, you know, been in a feud with for a while and think guilty thoughts. But I think what it means is that despite all of the chaos that this world is going to bring you despite the pain and the hurt and the disappointment and that you don't have to carry any of it. It's not yours. So this holiday season, if the holiday season for you represents brokenness, maybe you are currently um, separated or you're divorced and your, your kids are split between holidays. I did that my entire life. I did split holidays my entire life and I know how chaotic that is the transferring of the kids can lead to fights and there can just be lots of you know family feuds and different personalities and politics get brought up at the Christmas table yep. which you know
0: There's no peace there
1: that um, it's not yours it's not yours to carry it's not yours to to bear that someone else took it for you already and that's already done that that work is already done for you so you can give it up, and that's what gives you peace.
0: You know, as you're saying this, Becky, it just reminds me of something I think that's really profound and important to point out here. When Jesus was calling the Pharisees to task one of the times he was doing this, he was being criticized for not doing the ceremonial hand-washing before he ate, which is a a cleansing ritual, and uh, Jesus gets upset with them and says, "Uh, you Pharisees, you only care about the outside of the cup. When it's really the inside of the cup that should really matter to you. And what you're describing there is the difference between the exterior peace, like no fighting, you know, the, on the outside there's no conflict, there's, everything looks peace, peaceful and still. That's not the kind of peace Jesus is really focusing on here, he's focusing on the inside of the cup. We can't control the chaos and tension and anxiety that swirls around us in this world, but inside our cup, we can have peace. Mm-hmm. There can be a stillness inside of us when there's no stillness outside of us. That I think one of the things that this peace on earth means to me is the angels are recognizing that up until that point, because of man's betrayal and the brokenness of our sin, we were essentially, fundamentally at war with God. We were always wanting other gods and other kings. We rejected him, we disbelieved in him, we betrayed him over and over again, it wasn't just Adam and Eve's betrayal. Betrayal became a way of life for us. So we were essentially at war with God, and it's a good thing that Jesus says that his standard for love is loving his enemies, because that's all he had. We were all his enemies. And so the, this, this incarnation marks the beginning of a time of peace, because God has extended himself to bring peace in his relationship with us. Mm -hmm. That's what he's extending to us, peace in our relationship. We're no longer at war with him. And the way he's done this is he's reached out to his enemies and said, though you are my enemy, I have now made you my adopted son or my adopted daughter. And you're still my enemy as I have adopted you. It's that the act of inviting you into my family— and you, being close to me, will bring and seed redemption in you. It will turn you from an enemy to a lover. But I'm not requiring that you be a lover first for me to adopt you. I'm adopting you as enemies. And it's from this moment, uh, w- the incarnation of Jesus, where this invitation is, is, begins to be extended, where this, this war between us and God is finally taken care of, by the invitation to be adopted into his family." So here's something that I think uh, I'm going to do, and, and I want to ask if, if you would join me with this. Just pick out a day in the next, you know, three or four weeks between now and Christmas, pick out a day when it feels good to you to do it, and um, this will be a public expression of your gra- gratitude and your dependence on the Good Shepherd. So pick out a day Where you can make a public proclamation uh, of remembrance of what he's given to you. So put a mark on your hand, or if you want to be even bolder, put it on your forehead, like you might do if you're in liturgical church at Ash Wednesday, where you smear the ashes on your forehead. But pick out a day when you put a mark on your hand, or maybe even your forehead, just make a little shepherd's crook. It looks like a little fish hook, you know, just a little long line with a little curve at the end of it, and mark it on your hand or mark it on your forehead, and just wear it for that day as a reminder to you whenever you look in the mirror or when people ask you, what is that? You can just say, it's just to remind me of what a good shepherd I have and and how much he cared for me. I'm reminded of that during Advent, that he came to rescue me and to hold me close to his heart. So just put that uh, little mark on your hand or your forehead one day during Advent and use that day... As your day of remembrance, you don't have to do anything else. Just mark it, and then let and then experience the day because of the difference uh, that you've that you've introduced into the day on your hand or your forehead. And it'll be interesting to see also what kinds of conversations might come up in that one day because you've done this. It'll give you an opportunity to share what's most important to you. So there you have it. Four separate things that are tied to the four four weeks of Advent. And again, quickly, those those four weeks, just to, to review those, the first week is the prophetic week, where we look into the Old Testament to see the coming of Jesus, and week two is the journey to Bethlehem, and how anxious and chaotic and noisy that is, and inviting him into that. Week three is the witness of the shepherds, to be a child again, and, and maybe this year you could, as a family, watch a Charlie Brown Christmas and engage in it in a different way. And week four is, is to really uh, sit into the meaning of peace, and that you now, we, we now have the opportunity to be at peace with, with Jesus and to do something public to acknowledge that. So there's the four weeks. Um, Becky, have I forgotten anything that we wanted to mention today?
1: Well, just a reminder, um, we are marching to Christmas, but we're also marching to New Year's. And maybe this is the year that you need to just give it all up and you just need to give in and just start living a life that's daily dependent with Jesus, where you're experiencing him all the time. If you've been listening for a short time or a long time, that's why we designed the Jesus Centered Planner. It's sold out to buy from us directly, but you can still buy it at christianbookdistributors.com, amazon.com, and in your local Lifeway bookstore or Christian bookstore. Also, we're going to not be doing as many episodes this month, so uh, we're going to be doing two more after this, um, and we're actually going to be doing our top two episodes from 2017. So we're going to replay those best episodes, but we're also going to add some additional thoughts since we've recorded them onto those episodes, so that will be a great kind of reminder. Those were our most popular, so maybe you just got to go back and kind of remember what we talked about there. Thanks so much for listening. Also remember that you can find out more about the things that we talk about here today in your podcast description if you're listening on iTunes or Google Play. We're also at JesusCenteredLife.com. Find our podcast sections. This is Season 2, Episode 47. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest podcasts, and we'll talk next time. See you next time. Bye.